Branding is the long-term thing that you want to stand for with your business. If you don't mind us starting, Rafe, could you maybe share um, what you believe marketing to be and what you believe the difference between marketing and branding is? Sure. Uh, no problem. So, yeah, that's a, a great question. I would say that branding is the long-term thing that you want to stand for with your business that you probably won't depart for from if ever. So Disney, you know, we were at a high level about making people happy, right? An experience that makes you smile, that makes your kids smile, your grandkids, whatever. So the branding is the long game. Marketing points at the long game, but really marketing is sales. Marketing changes every day sometimes, sometimes even every minute. If something happens that affects your product, your business, your brand, you have to evolve constantly. And if you make a marketing plan for the year, you know, COVID happens and boom, you got to throw it away and change it. So I would say that marketing is an ongoing, nonstop, relentless obsession on how you're going to get people to know about what you're doing. Whereas branding is what in the long game you want to stand for, for whoever you, you are as a company. Thank you, Rafe. And um, I had this question for a bit later on. It's one of my favorite questions. It's not particularly intellectual, but um, I like to ask it, but I'll ask it now. What do you think is the most important, sales or marketing? And what's the Ooh. difference? Ooh, like gun to your head, Ray, if you have to choose one or the other. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to pick sales uh, because I, I really think that marketing is a subset of sales. And there may be people I've working, worked with in the past will shoot me for saying that. But I, I think that sales is eventually what we're about, right? You want to sell your product. You want to make more money. And to the point of what we're talking about today, recurring income, it can only come when you get one sale, right? To get a second and a third and, and beyond that. So for me, marketing is one piece of the overall sales effort. Always was, always will be. Debatable, Rob. Uh, I'll bet my glasses on it though. That, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is there, look, sales is putting the cash in the bank, obviously. But is there an argument if your marketing is really good, your marketing puts the cash in the bank too? Absolutely. Good pushback. I think what I would say to that, however, is if your product or service is excellent, that is the best marketing on the planet. And that's what we'll talk about maybe a little bit as we get into this. Sometimes you don't even need much marketing if you have something that is so good like an experience at a Disney theme park that you, you come out of it and you just want to tell everybody. That's the best marketing always has been. And in my opinion, always will be. So we'll come to that. I'd love to, um, this isn't on my list of questions, but I'd love to get that. But you've reminded me of the iPod. Uh, back mm. in the day when, you know, you used to go to a, a hardware store or whatever you, um, you call them over the pond, if you like, and, you know, you get these Sony MP3s, they'd have all these megahertz, gigahertz and all these functions and lists. And then Steve Jobs said 10,000 songs in your pocket. And it just blew the world away. And to me, that's great marketing because everyone else was giving the gigahertz and the megahertz. And, the, and he just said, 
10,000 songs in your pocket. Amen. I would probably use a different word to define that, and that's innovation. Ah. We created something that we didn't even know we needed. Uh, and, and that to me is not even marketing. That's like crazy. Wow, where was his head at? Like, I wasn't going around, maybe you were, Rob, but I wasn't going around thinking, oh, if I only had 10,000 songs in my pocket. I mean, <laughs> that's like a science fiction movie, right? Yeah. So uh, I wasn't dreaming that. So I think he innovated. And then the marketing became people like you and I who had that thing shouting to others about it. And eventually they did a more traditional advertising campaign. So in your experience then, Rafe, you know, at Coca-Cola or Disney or anywhere else you've been, you said the theme parks, but can you name any other product or service or thing you were involved in that you're like, wow, this thing sells itself. This is amazing. Gosh. So I would have to say my startup, which I've been on for 11 years, where we actually didn't do any marketing because we obsessed over the product. And that was uh, pop-up secret gigs. You didn't know, it's called SoFar Sounds, S-O-F-A-R, Sounds. And it's simply a gig in a house or some other non-traditional space where we just, and this was the Disney playbook, we just obsessed over the actual event, trying to break a few rules, do a few things that were differently, different than before. And obviously it wasn't just me, there were lots of people who were involved, but I created something to help people understand that like with the 10,000 songs in your pocket, there actually is a better way or another way to enjoy music. And that's sitting on a floor in a front room with a hundred people or less where everybody's quiet. Everyone leans in and lets the music come into them. And they're not running out, get, going to the pub, getting a drink, talking, going to the toilet, all those kinds of things. Love it. So Coca-Cola and Disney are obviously two huge companies and you, um, you know, it, I just want to say it's a real pleasure to talk to you, Rafe. And um, you. I, I guess you must feel really grateful for the experience you've gained. So mm. there's a lot of sort of startups on this um, summit uh, and, you know, not quite mm. at the Coca-Cola level yet. What did you learn, um, you know, basically running global marketing for those big companies that are transferable to start and scale ups? Right. Well, that, that's a great question. I think when you're working for big companies like that, you learn as much about what not to do <laughs> as what to do. So I'll sort of address both of both Yeah, of let's those. have a, a not to do list as well. That's good. <laughs> right. So it all comes down to people, whether you have one person working for you, if you do, 10, or in these cases, 10 to 100,000. And I find that a lot of times uh, in, in big companies, you don't know that what you're doing is actually connected to something that makes a difference. You're beating away, you're doing something, and it, you feel like it's hitting some sort of quota in your department, but you don't always get reminded what the vision of the company is. And I'll come back to that in a second. And also how what you do helps get there. So if I go, Disney did a great job, Coke not as well. But if this is the sense that I am waking up, and this is on the positive side, I'm waking up every day to make people slightly happier because they're going to buy a Disney product. They're going to go to a Disney theme park. They're going to watch a film that Disney's involved with. And whatever I do, whether it's accounting, 
or whether it's actually dressing up as Mickey Mouse, which I did, by the way, if we have time, we should get into that crazy <laughs> story. But, you know, whatever you're doing is actually helping those little kids around the world be slightly happier on any given day. So number one, Disney got it right with the vision. Everyone at Disney knows what's going on. What we're trying to do is to build something that makes people happy in some way, great or small, right? And then they're really careful to make sure that every employee understands what that magic is about. And I would argue that most companies, and Coke was less good at it, forget that. You know, they're like, go do this, go do that. But the boss doesn't take the extra few minutes to go, if you do this, and that could be anything from sweeping the streets at Disney World. If you do this, actually, you're going to make people happier than they were before because we have a great product we should be proud of. So I would argue that spending a little extra time, anyone out there as a small company, it's hard. You know, you're in the trenches. It's relentless. You know, you have to worry about rent and paying people and getting your product out and so many other things that, that I can't even imagine. I've been there, but taking a few extra minutes to remind everybody what the vision is. Every company should have a vision where they want to be one day. Now, I'll stop there for a second because I threw a lot and there's a lot more. But uh, what do you think of that, Rob? Uh, I'm already in my head drifting into talking to my team and making sure <laughs> I let them know why I want them to do something rather than just telling them to do something. So um, mm. I think being reminded of the why is really important because then we don't feel like we're just a puppet for someone else. We feel like we're actually doing something useful and meaningful. So thank you for that reminder, Rafe, because I do take my time to treat my staff well. We have um, almost 100 in our um, two main training companies, but I know I could do that more. Um, in fact, one of my, my head of innovation, he's a very innovative guy called Tom, Tom Luter. He said, Rob, I always want to know why you want me to do something. And at first I was like, man, that's going to take me a lot more time. But then that will make sense. I, I get that because um, otherwise you can just feel like you're doing a job. And how do you feel like you're doing more? Totally. That stereotypical boss that says, do this, do that. And if you haven't done it on time, they get angry without saying really what the consequences are. And guess what? Here's the wonderful part of this. It's free. <laughs> all it takes is a little bit of your time, mm. which we all don't have a lot of. Yes, I get it. But it doesn't have to take more than 60 seconds to go, mm. hey, whoever, here's why we do this. Remember? And, you know, you can spend more time and obsess over it, but it's only a little bit from here to there sprinkling that magic. And, and I think that people is actually the greatest leverage, Rafe, because you can either do all the work yourself or you can get your team to do it for you. So if you take 60 seconds per person, but you get 10% or 20% more output compounded over 100 people, it's actually a good return on time invested. It's just on how you perceive the benefit of the return on your time. 100%. And another way, another tip is as you onboard somebody, you obsess, whether you have 100 like you do, or someone out there has 10 or, or more, as you onboard somebody, you definitely need to obsess a little bit about getting them into the company and understanding why we do this. Why did you invent your company? Why did I invent mine? Let's spend a little time right at the beginning so that they're on track. 
too many companies just say, right, here's your laptop, you know, there's, there's the door, here's the sign-in sheet, here are your targets, go. But no, you should send, you know, go to the pub and explain why we do this. Yeah, yeah, I really, um, I think that's huge. So thank you, Ray. Um, you said you had a not-to-do list. Can you give us a few of those? It's, you know, look, it's better to learn from the mistakes of others than make them yourself, I believe. Yeah, amen. Well, all right, the first obvious one is the flip side of what I just said, is not doing that actually is a big deal. The next thing, and I'm, as you probably figured out, I'm all about people. Another thing is get rid of toxic people. So I was working with an insurance company, a large one that everybody has probably heard of. And uh, I was helping the CEO. And he said, I don't know what to do, Rafe. I've got this sales guy, he's just killing it. He's making us millions. He's the best salesperson I've ever seen. I'm like, what's the problem? Well, he's not treating the women out there very well. And I, I don't know what to do. And this was before me too. And it wasn't really clear exactly what was happening. There was nothing inappropriate. It was just his attitude. It was, it was not nice. And I'm like, you gotta get rid of him. I mean, there's just, there's just no question because it will bite you in the end. I mean, obviously you need to spend time with him and coach him and all that stuff and warning. But um, I always have a, a mantra, no toxic people. We've all met those people. And the, the issue is no matter how well they can perform or suck up or whatever, you know, and I know in our gut that they're wrong for the company. And it's not always easy, right? I and mean, if you're not the boss, it may be your boss who's toxic. <laughs> that, in that case, you need to leave, right? But no toxic people is so simple, but so difficult to execute on. And I'll also say, Rob, we're, we've always been in that, and for everyone out there, we've always, you know, had that person who we know needs to go. We've warned them, they haven't listened, we've warned them again, but we hesitate because it's hard. It's not easy for anyone to fire somebody. But let me tell you, usually it's a relief to you both. They know it's not working, you know it's not working. There's a reason they're angry or lashing out or being political. I saw people like that at Coke and Disney and other companies again and again and again, backstabbing, you know, always there trying to look good, not getting much work done, spending their time being political, not always their fault. Sometimes it's the environment, but the, the machine didn't spit them out. I'm being brutal in my language, but it, it has an impact. Guess what ends up happening? You leave. You, leave, you lose your good people first. Yeah, I um, really agree with this, Rafe. Um, and... Imagine that salesperson who's toxic and the fear would be, well, we're going to lose all that money. But you've probably got a lot of other salespeople around them underperforming because of that toxic person. You move the toxic person, they all of a sudden all step up. And I remember one of my mentors talking to me about sales environments and top performers and top performers can often suppress others you know, when they have all the attention. So you remove them and you think, I'm going to lose all that money. But then all of a sudden you make it up everywhere else. So, you know, like the vacuum law of prosperity, you make space for things to come into your life. So I guess I would just say, liberate yourself from the fear. Mm. Um, it's like going to a tribunal. I, I, I know my, my team, I'm just going to be really open here. I probably shouldn't say this. I'll probably be in my own HR department next week, grave in trouble. But I know my HR department and my senior team don't want to go to a tribunal. And sometimes I think maybe you should then. 
know what it's like so that you know that you're not going to get essentially blackmailed or threatened or whatever and liberate yourself from the fear of losing a good revenue producer or losing a staff member or having to let someone go because i think the fear is the the thing that constrains us the most you can't attract great people when you've got not great people in so as long as you have faith and you let someone go who's not great you're making a space for other great people to come in um and i've found time and time again Rafe, when i've let people go they wanted to go and i actually thought, thought afterwards i just did you a favor you should be paying me because you wanted to go but you did some people are working for just enough money and aren't pissed off quite enough and so they stay in a job for mm. years because it's just enough money and they're not quite pissed off enough to leave and you can do a favor to them by liberating them. Look, don't blame me if you fire someone and said, well, Rob said it's liberating, but I, I have seen <laughs> that side, um, which I never really, I always was scared of doing that. I'm, I, I kind of think it's freeing now to do that. There's a lot of fear amongst people in business. Amen to that. And when you shed it, you're, you're so much better. You're so much happier, but you're also a better person to work with mm. in the end. I'm going to add something to the list so far, and that's Please. don't rush to hire. Thanks. Don't rush to hire. I've seen that all the time in those companies that I've worked for and others. You're growing quickly. Your company's rocking it. And you're like, oh, my God, how am I going to hire 10 people by Sunday kind of thing? We've all seen it. And you rush. You hire people because, you know, you've got you've got a space. But you end up putting square pegs in round holes. You end up doing a little, a little bit too quickly. And what happens is a month later, like, whoa, I got a hangover, a people hangover. You know, what did I do? And it's, the vice is always go slow with hiring. It's too important. It's a much bigger deal to lose somebody who you've rushed to get in than it is to wait a little bit to get the right great people. What do you think? Um, I hear you and I agree. And I actually have a rolling recruitment policy now in most of my departments where we're always looking for talent. Because sometimes talent doesn't come when you want talent. Talent comes when talent comes. So if you're mm. like, oh, no, we're not hiring for talent today, but we'll be hiring for talent next week when we need talent. Oh, but the talent isn't there. So I have a kind of rolling recruitment now policy, which hopefully helps me not have to emergency hire. I've got a question that you, which is from me to you, you Rafe. So I'm always selfish when I do an interview and I get one in that I need answering. I'm going to get my own mentoring here. It's my event. <laughs> I, I am often faced with the following quandary and I'd love your experience and wisdom. So sometimes I think I'd rather have someone in the role who's average than have no one in the role for six months because that's going to cost me way more money. So would you say to me, Someone who's a bit lost their flair, a bit on idle, or no one for six months. Mm, I'll challenge you on that. Please do. <laughs> I might rethink the role. I mean, if they're, if they're there and they're average, then we've already discussed what we need to do to help them be great or to lose them. But if you're not able to pull someone in, there's probably something about how you're recruiting about what the role is, about how you're talking about it. You might think this is brilliant. Why can't I find anyone beyond average? But 
almost always it's the recruiter who you're working with. It could be someone inside your company, outside. It's you and the way you, you the general you, are selling your company. You have to think then, what am I doing wrong about marketing, and this is what this is about, this role? And you need to obsess about saying that this is the best role on the planet for this type of person. And I will bet you that that's how you'll find more than average, better than average. It's Rob again, and I have an exciting announcement to make to you, my podcast listeners. So I wrote in my book, Life Leverage, about leveraging time. And let's be honest, no one is getting less busy. Maybe you listen to podcasts now on two times speed. Maybe you 2x and 3x audiobooks. We now got two times speed on WhatsApp messages. And it's for this reason that I absolutely love Blinkist. And it's for two reasons. Reason number one is, if there's a book you want to listen to, but it's eight hours long, you can go on Blinkist and get the 15 minute summary to then decide if you're going to invest eight hours in a book. Reason number two is the 15 minute summaries on Blinkist are really good. And if you don't want to go deep on a book and there's loads of other books in your library that you haven't listened to yet, you can blink them and listen to the 15 minute summaries. I also like Blinkist because I can inform myself in bite-sized chunks and times. Listen to Blinkist in the car, listen to Blinkist in the gym. If I've got a busy day, I can always squeeze in one or two books on Blinkist. So right now, Blinkist has a very special offer just for my audience, you listeners on The Disruptive Entrepreneur. So if you go to Blinkist.com forward slash Rob, you can start a seven-day free trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. So it's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com forward slash Rob, get 25% off and a seven-day trial. I only ever recommend people and companies I personally use. I love Blinkist with the changing world and the massive information. So go to Blinkist.com forward slash Rob. Right. What's the... um... I don't know if you believe in standing out rather than fitting in. So I'm not Mm. going to make that assumption. But my question here is, how do you stand out rather than fit in? It's so blazingly obvious to me. uh, And it's my main advice to anyone who wants to understand marketing. And it's so obvious that I'm almost embarrassed to say it, Rob. But it's obsess over the customer. And you will stand out. Because most people don't. Newsflash. Does anyone remember when there were those volcanoes? Where was it? Iceland? That, 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 that covered the entire, all of Europe? Does anyone remember? And flights were stopped. I might have the country wrong. Anyone listening can chip in. Let us know was, in the comments were- if you know what Rafe's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it was basically smoke that covered uh, a, a huge part of the world from some natural event. Thank you, I was right. Thank you, Maria. It is Iceland. The ash cloud, boom, Lisa, it's harder than than, than us. Uh, So the ash cloud. So it was during the summer holidays. So people were scattered all around the world. I had flown, and here's a plug for Virgin. I had flown on Virgin Atlantic to South Africa. I was with my family outside Cape Town. And we were stuck like so many other people and weigh in if any of you listening were stuck anywhere during the ash cloud. I had one friend, actually the head of our school, our kid's school was stuck in Sri Lanka. Not a bad deal, right? But some people were stuck 
everywhere. And we were all figuring out how the heck am I going to get home? So this went on for a while. So we were in South Africa thinking there were no flights. Can we take a boat <laughs> right from Africa and end up in England? How long is that going to take? Can we be a stowaway? Anyway, Virgin, unlike every other airline on the planet, said, we feel for you. We get what it is. We know what it is to be in your shoes, Rafe and family and other Virgin Atlantic customers. So because of that, we are going to put you up in a hotel and give you vouchers for three meals a day until the ash cloud is gone. Every other person I knew, they were told by the airlines, ah, natural disaster, ah, we can't do anything. You know, God has, has, has weighed in, blah, 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 blah. You're, you're on your own, mate. That was what everybody else I knew heard. But at Virgin was like, they stood out because they knew what I was going through. They knew I was stressed. They knew I was worried about my family. They knew I was spending all this money I didn't expect to spend. And guess what? They got a customer for life in me. I will never forget that. So the money that they paid for that paid off because we all know it's not cheap to fly you know, an airline. But guess who the first airline I always look at now? So sorry about the, the, the plug, but to answer your question, they obsessed over, they empathized with me. And I am sure everyone out there has a story or maybe about the Ash Club, but you also have stories about obsessing over your customer. And you know when it doesn't happen, because we've all been there, right? You walk in the restaurant, the maitre d's looking at their phone, <laughs> you're like gum on the bottom of somebody's shoe, you're not cool enough, whatever. But then we've also been there where we walk into a place and someone treats us like an old friend. We've never met them before. Hey, come on in. And you feel great, costs nothing. So that's understanding what it feels like to, to be on a holiday and get stuck, but it also can work with anybody's business. I think that's a, a brilliant story example, Rafe. So thank you. So what we're going to do now is shift gears. I'm going to ask you two questions, which maybe you could take a minute on each, maybe mm. 90 seconds, and then we're going to do a quick fire and we've got about 10 quick fires. So the two questions, uh, first one, about 90 seconds. How do you think marketing has evolved over the last one to two decades? In the past, it went from yeah, in the past. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sure. It went from spray it and pray <laughs> <laughs> to uh, being ultra precise. Yes. So at Coke, we called it paint it red. It was like Coke's red. Let's get it everywhere. Let's create a TV spot. Let's blast that sucker out there and hope that somebody out there listens. But we didn't really know who was going to take it in. Right. We didn't know whether they were gonna get it or even see it. And we had no way to measure it. So that was where it was. And now it's reaching towards somewhere which is much more about, wow, someone's a Pepsi Max fan. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, look, I don't drink Coke anymore, but that's another story. <laughs> so, then, so then it went to one-to-one um, -one marketing, right? It's like, how can we find somebody through digital marketing and get to them uh, with our precise message that's ultra measurable. Mm. Now, it's not perfect. I'll get to that if we have time. But the point is that journey has gone from one thing to a lot more precision, a lot more getting to know you and I. 
Yeah, I mean, I think one of the greatest marketing innovations or inventions was Google pay-per-click, you know, where you had to basically pay thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands for an ad with no metrics whatsoever. And then all of a sudden you could pay a, a cent a click to a targeted audience. I mean, people don't understand how innovative and disruptive um, and obviously Facebook of now and YouTube of, and all the other um, big companies do the same thing. But I, I think that's a great reflection. And when I started you, you to buy a property, you had to put an ad in the newspaper and you, oh, how many people is going to reach? Oh, 25 million eyeballs. Well, what does that mean? Don't know. Pay me 10 grand. So how do you see marketing heading in the next 10 years or so, Ray? So the problem with what's happening today is brilliant as it is compared to what you were talking about and what we remember is even though you feel you can be precise, there are bots out there that are counting as humans. If you're a marketeer, there's ads that are hidden, that are not seen by different people. There's so many different things that can happen where the ad doesn't actually reach the person. And it's a long journey from the genius of what we have now to where we need to get to. It's gonna take some time. It's gonna take some time to build trust also, to understand that the ads that we put out really are heard by the right people. So fast forward to the future, where do we need to get to? We need to get to a place where in 10, 20 years, one-to-one -one marketing really happens and it really gets to Rob or Rafe or anyone else who's out there uh, listening right now. The, the message actually reaches somebody by a combination of far better precision. I'll take Instagram as an example. Instagram is really good at targeting. Facebook not as good anymore, right? So it'll get there and in 10 years, we'll be able to be super precise. You'll get what's right, you'll get what you need. You won't be annoyed, you won't shut it off. And the final point is we'll still believe in, in real life marketing, right? We still need experiences. We still need to touch and hug each other, right? So it's, it's understanding the blend between real life marketing, where you see it, feel it, and digital marketing, and building a brand, to your original question, which is something that happens through experiences, and that precise marketing, that one-to-one -one genius dream which started 20 some years ago, but it's gonna take another 20 years to actually happen. Love it. Right, quick fire time, are you ready? I'm ready, so, Rob. Maybe 15 to 30 second answers. If you feel like ranting a bit about one go, this one might take a little longer. Should Coca, some people think sugar is poison. Should Coca-Cola stop selling sugar water? The answer I'll say is just to be a little consistent. First of all, I have not drink, drank Coca-Cola since I worked there. So to the Pepsi Max guy out there, I hear you. I think they should do whatever they want. I think the customers should decide. We're all grown-ups, whether we want that sugar in us. And I think it's the job of the government and the world and parents to educate us that sugar may or may not be good for you, right? And so I think that the customer can walk away or embrace it. If they want to drink it, let them drink it. If they're like, ah, I agree with you, Rob, sugar is not good. And there's a lot of sugar in Coke sometimes, uh, then, 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 you know, vote with your feet. Yeah. 
Yeah, good answer that. Because if I was Coca-Cola, I wouldn't be rushing to stop selling Coca-Cola. <laughs> that, that's suicide. That's like OnlyFans not selling sex. Did you hear about that? <laughs> Did you hear about that? Uh, yeah. I didn't. What, what happened? <laughs> well, OnlyFans were apparently forced to stop um, allowing people to have accounts with sexually explicit content in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was nuts. Yeah, yeah which is what OnlyFans is. Yeah, like Coca-Cola yeah, like not selling Coca-Cola anymore. <laughs> so, Rafe, would you rather have $100 million a year working 15 hours a day or $1 million a year working two hours a day? No question. The second one. Give me a few hours. I'll do other things and I'll take the, the $2 million. Thank you very much. Oh, okay. I need to ask a better question next time then. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite asset class? This is the Recurring Income Summit. What asset class do you like the most? Large cap equity. I mean, the likes of Amazons and Apples have been rocking it, right? Mm. It's stable. We've got a lot of data on it. We know these companies. You know, remember how Warren Buffett famously said, only invest in companies you know. Large cap equity, we know them, we understand them. Solid. Yeah, Tim Cook just got a big payout. That's my last question for you, Rafe. But um, twelve hundred percent stock price rise in the last ten years, Apple. So pretty good. Yeah. And um, who is the most inspiring money master, educator, teacher, earner, guru, billionaire that you um, have ever seen or met? Um, my uncle, who nobody knows, <laughs> but uh, he taught me a to play chess because he said that you, everyone should understand how to think ahead in business. And the more you think ahead, the better you are. He said, play football, American football, but this goes with English football as well to toughen you up a bit. And then he said what I've said before, obsess over the customer and that goes for investing as well. Are those customers excited about that product? Figure it out, whether it's your company or something you're investing in. If they're not excited, if they won't, like Apple stand in line before, you know, they have a new phone, then uh, maybe I wouldn't put my hard money behind them. The best boss you've ever worked for and why? Peter Boutros at Disney. Uh, he was a big, bigger than life Australian. And he said, you know, mate, I can't do the accent, sorry. Maybe <laughs> someone else does do better. But he's like, he's like, mate, you know, uh, you go and have a good time working with me and with Disney. We're gonna travel the world and, I want you to have a good time because I know if you have a good time, you're going to rock it and you're going to do well in your job. And by the way, if you ever want to leave, go, because I'm not doing a good job then. What's the best advice you ever remember receiving? Sorry if this is cheesy. That's my American, but it's really about doing what you love. And if you're not enjoying it, get out. You know, this life's too short. We've all seen that last year, especially. Mm. And the worst advice you ever remember receiving. <laughs> <laughs> Big boss at Walt Disney took me and one other person around uh, her house in Beverly Hills and said, the other guy was Chris, Rafe and Chris, this can be yours if you're just loyal to me. If you just, you know, do what I say and work with me, you know, this huge house and garden and everything. And the other guy, Chris, bought it, bought the Kool-Aid. And I'm like, really? Is that really what works about so I can get a big house in Beverly Hills uh, and just being loyal to you? Next year, she was fired. <laughs> <laughs> Rafe, does money make you happy? No, no.
Uh, money is, as Oscar Wilde said, uh, essential, uh, but not important. And uh, you know, we all need money uh, and we all need a certain amount of money, but it's never made me happy. What makes me happy is this, talking to someone, having a laugh, uh, having great friends and family and being healthy, hopefully, to enjoy it. So Tim Cook, uh, it was announced today, had a $750 million payday. He had uh, um, a 10 year incentive, just uh, materialized. He got paid in stock, but sold it pretty much immediately. Gave 10 million of it away to a uh, charity and cashed in about 750 million. What do you think of Tim <laughs> Cook getting paid a quarter of a billion dollars today? He should have given away a heck of a lot more than that. I mean, that's like a, that's like a cup of coffee for, for, for most <laughs> of us. I would say that. I, you know, you can't criticize him. You got to criticize the system we're in, right? A system that allows that. It's going to allow the next Tim Cook, and it's allowed a thousand before him, or maybe more. And everybody complains about uh, Bezos's wealth. You know, if we want to grow up to make that kind of money, then you got to go down that path and hope to be CEO of Apple. It's the system. It's not Tim Cook. I can never criticize him, except maybe he should have given more to charity. Or maybe he should have given you and I something. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. could you could you argue it was a ten year plan, and mm. it was based on increased share price? So could you argue that it was a good incentive scheme, fueling the growth of Apple, which was probably unsure post Steve Jobs, and that he's really earned it, and a lot of people across the world have got value from his work. Amen. And uh, same thing happened with my boss's boss's boss at Disney back in the day uh, for a little while, Michael Eisner, who uh, promised 20% year on year growth. And, and we got there, it was brutal, but we got there and his payout was about the same in terms of do those dollars. So yeah. Rafe, this has been a real pleasure for me. And where can we follow you? Are you active on social media or do you write a book or is there anywhere we can continue to stay in touch with you? You know what, uh, just say hello. Uh, I, I am active, but not massively active. Uh, I, I'm, I'm an email person. It's just my name, rafeoffer at gmail.com, R-A-F-E-O-F-F-E-R, rafeoffer at gmail.com. I try to get back to everybody. Uh, and, and, and I think one-to-one -one communication, which I've been talking about, <laughs> makes sense. Uh, thank you for your beautiful comments. Good thank luck you, with Rafe. your businesses. A pleasure, yeah, Rob. I've just shared your email. Um, I would say to everyone watching and listening, you know, don't just, he said say hi, but hundreds of emails, but you know, maybe approach Rafe with something valuable and useful. Um, it's R-A-F-E-O-F-F-E-R at gmail.com. Rafe, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for your wisdom and insights. Uh, and we'll see you again soon. I hope so. Pleasure. Thanks for having me.